0: In the name of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. It's always good to come out to Lake Almanor. It looks a little different than it has in the past. I had a nice tour, I guess, around the lake, seeing the, the remainder of what the Dixie Fires left. But thanks be to God, the city, the town here, and the church and many homes were spared. On this third Sunday after Easter, the appointed lessons shift our attention from our Lord's resurrection appearances and his watchful shepherding of his sheep, the church, to focus our minds upon Christ's work through us from his throne in heaven and the implications of his resurrection for our daily lives and our service to him. In our gospel today, we are taken back to the upper room, the night before our Lord's crucifixion, in which he prepares the disciples for his ascension, plainly stating, a little while and you will see me no more, because I go to the Father. These were not words meant to bring sorrow to the disciples, though they did, and confusion as well, nor disappointment to the church in subsequent ages, which has not yet seen her Lord. Rather than being diminished by these words, the joy of Easter instead grows greater. When the time comes for Christ to ascend to the Father, it is to bring about the completion and fullness of his finished work on the cross, and see it realized in the new heavens and new earth. This work, however, is to be done not by him directly, but through his church, which the gates of hell cannot withstand. And just how he would empower these fearful disciples, weak in faith, to do this task is the subject of next Sunday's lesson. But today the lessons move our attention from the joys and celebration of Easter to our remaining days in this fallen world. For the resurrection and the ascension must reshape how we live out our lives in the days appointed for each of us. Jesus has no intention for his church to daydream about heaven when there's work to be done on earth that advances his kingdom. We still have a calling to fulfill why we have breath in our body. And so the church, through these appointed lessons, would lead us back into everyday life, where roses are still found with their thorns, and the power and joy of Easter to reinforce us in the resolve to engage in our holy tasks. In the epistle lesson, St. Peter exhorts us to reorient our mind and our heart in view of this calling. He writes Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Sojourners, exiles, travelers, and pilgrims, that's the image we must cultivate for ourselves as we go about our daily lives and our kingdom work. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence Jesus will come again, St. Paul writes. Each parish is, in fact, an outpost, an embassy of that heavenly kingdom, from which its members go forth to do the work of Christ with the gifts and the calling that he has bestowed upon them. And in this work, we each function as ambassadors official representatives of our king. And this is so even if we are ambassadors in chains, as St. Paul was when when he wrote his prison epistles, the letter to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, and Colossians, for he found that even chains in a prison could not keep him from doing his necessary kingdom work. And so it must be with us as well. Notice that Peter's exhortation shows no concern as to what we are doing in our callings, our kingdom work as sojourners and exiles. Rather, he's concerned that we not stumble in the task that we're called to do by getting seduced or ensnared or trapped by the passions of our flesh, which war against our soul and thereby destroy our credibility before an unbelieving world. As Christians, we must not only bring excellence to our respective calling so that every thought applied to that discipline is subject to Christ in truth, but also we must, by our honorable conduct, silence the smearing accusations of the wicked. (coughs) And even if their voices are not stilled, Peter says, then these good deeds of ours will compel the silence of our accusers in the day of visitation when Christ returns in judgment. In either case, like the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11, we seek the city, which is to come in the new heavens and the new earth, whose designer and builder is God. Christ, until then, has given us a work to do, to make disciples of the nations, baptizing and teaching them all that is commanded, that they might become worshipers of our Heavenly Father, worshiping in spirit and in truth, and devoting themselves to extending Christ's kingdom to the uttermost part of the earth. (coughs) To that end, it is therefore most important that as Christians we cultivate a life that detaches itself in heart from much of the present-minded, self-addicted culture of the world and its pleasure. Many things are allowable, Some indifferent, but we must apply discernment with all vigilance, St. Peter exhorts us, in guarding against those worldly seductions and fleshly lusts that would re-enslave our souls. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Christian, never forget whose name you bear in holy baptism. That is who you are, that is your identity. The world is watching, and you are in the world, though you must not be of the world. The Christian must live his life separate from the world as a pilgrim, a sojourner, a traveler, not in pride or with contempt, but with lips and lives seasoned, as it were, with grace. In other words, we're not here as tourists, soaking in all that the world has to offer while we wait for our heavenly mansion. St. Peter goes on to stress the importance of this in the Christian's godly example and exemplary conduct by exhorting us to practice a godly submission. As those whose citizenship is in heaven, we must understand that our place and the degree of our loyalty to the earthly kingdom nation of which we are members, we have to understand that place, whatever nation or state the Christian is a member of, his chief loyalty or patriotism is to the kingdom of Christ. This must take precedence without regard to the particular form of government he finds himself under. And while every form of government is a human institution, a human creation, the authority of that government is of God, and obedience to that government is a Christian duty to be done for the Lord's sake, particularly as those laws and that government, as ministers of God, enforce God's justice and God's rule. The laws, so far as they are wise, express the wisdom of God. And human justice, as far as they are just reflecting God's laws, to that extent they are rooted in the justice of God. Obedience to such laws is the foundation of a godly society, which itself is an ordinance of God. And it is the only security for order, liberty, confidence, and prosperity. Peter's not calling us to a blind obedience, nor is he promising peace if we submit Remember, he's the one who was told by the high priest, who was no small authority, to not teach in the name of Jesus, to which Peter declared that he must obey God rather than man, and we have to apply the same discernment. Nor was it a blind obedience to the emperor that got him crucified in Rome upside down by his request because he deemed himself not worthy to die in the same manner as Christ. He died in obedience to the Lord for the Lord's sake. Now, to be sure, conflict between men's laws and God's laws will arise. Pharaoh's command to the Hebrew midwives to kill the male children at birth. Instead, the midwives obeyed God and not Pharaoh. Or Rahab's hiding the Hebrew spies. Rather than obeying the king by reporting and revealing where they were, or in modern times, those who defied the Nazis in World War II by hiding Jews, saving their lives from concentration camps and death chambers, were doing what was just and right, and faithful to God. These situations clearly compel a priority to God's law. Short of these types of clear conflicts, the scriptures are clear. Christians and all men are to submit to the authority that God has placed over them. And so that the rule of law may be upheld and no place be given to vigilantism, St. Peter admonishes us, as those who live the resurrected life in Christ, to not neglect our duty to serve. Ultimately, the Christian has no man as master upon earth. And he can say to the world, you are not my master. For he must not forget to say as well to himself, self, you also are not my master. Otherwise, he will find himself using his freedom as a pretext for evil. Recall the scene in the upper room prior to the crucifixion at which it was Peter who protested Jesus taking on the form of a servant to wash his feet. And Jesus responded, if I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you cannot be my servant. You have no share with me. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And it's also Peter who urges us to live as people who are free. Use your liberty as a son of God to serve. Not self, but others. And to be effective, the servant must deny himself, for self-interest must always end up corrupting true service. Absolute freedom for creatures is impossible. Only God is free in that sense. Fallen humanity in bondage to sin nature can only exercise a relative freedom under God. And it is the Christian only who is truly free, for only he is free to do what is truly right. One commentator put it this way. The only true liberty of which a dependent being like man is capable is the free use of his faculties in the service of God. Only the bondservants of God are capable of using freedom in its fullest sense. For that's why we are made in the image of God. And finally... Remember that obedient service is performed not out of an obligation to men, but to God. It is offered willingly and cheerfully. And when we live in this way before the world in godliness and submission and serving in love, then the substance of our lives is separate from the world, though we may be in the world daily. More than that, by living thus, our lives become a living testament to the world of the power of the resurrection and the hope of eternity that only the Christian has. And to our lives lived in this way, we add the confession of our lips, which gives a clear defense for the hope that is in us. This is what we are called to do as sojourners, as servants of God, as witnesses to the power of the resurrection, and as ambassadors of the ascended Christ, enthroned at the right hand of God, who has commissioned his church to bring a message of hope and peace to a fallen world and thereby advance his kingdom on earth. Note these words from second century Christian Diognetus. Christians reside in their respective countries, but only as sojourners. They take part in everything as citizens (coughs) and put up with everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their home, in every home, a foreign land. May God help us to ever be circumspect in thus in our calling to live as citizens of heaven. Amen.